Good morning, everyone. My name is Sally. The Bible reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Harmonius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't do anything, don't, sorry, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. 
Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Good morning. Great to be with you, kind of. When I was an assistant minister at another church, after I'd been there for a couple of years, the church was looking for a new senior minister. I was less than two years out of Bible college, so I wasn't an option, which meant I could kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. And it was fascinating what different people wanted in a minister. For some people, it was like they wanted the exact replica of the minister they'd just had. But for others, it was like they wanted the exact opposite of the minister they'd just had. Most people seemed to want someone with all the strengths of the old minister, but none of his weaknesses. He needed to be pastoral and visit people and really care and comfort people. He needed to be super spiritual, big on spiritual gifts and experiencing God. But he also needed to be a sharp, engaging teacher, academic even, but still funny and insightful, passionate and never boring. He needed to be a strong leader and bring vision and clarity, but he needed to be soft and cuddly, down with the youth and in with the elderly. Sitting back and listening to what people wanted in a minister tells you a lot about them. I discovered all sorts of things about what's important to people, things I wouldn't have otherwise known. And some of the discoveries were encouraging, some were amusing, and some were disappointing. The second chapter of Timothy is about what really matters in a minister. It tells you what's important for someone who's entrusted with leading others in spiritual things. I was finding it hard this week to know what I should say today, because this chapter... It does have a lot to say to us, but it doesn't say it directly to us. It says it to us through Timothy, as we see the kind of minister that that Timothy should be, as we see how Timothy should guard the gospel message. Then we see what really matters in life, and then we see what this means for us. So let's have a look at what Paul says to Timothy about the kind of minister he should be. In verse 1, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy as a minister needs to understand that a really important part of his role is passing the gospel on. Paul is saying the gospel needs to be carefully passed on to those who will carefully pass it on to others. In this brief line, Paul shows an unbroken chain of four generations. There's Paul to Timothy, to reliable teachers, to the people they teach. This isn't secret whispers where only an elite know the message and control the message. This is Paul publicly passing on this message that everyone knows to Timothy. But he's not just passing on the message. He's also passing on the responsibility for Timothy to guard the message and to raise up more people who will keep on guarding the message. Now, this has got heaps to say to Timothy as a minister, and it's got heaps to say to Coops and me as ministers. But it also has heaps to say to us as a church. Is one of our big priorities at Trinity Church Modbury raising up reliable people who will pass on the gospel message and the teaching that goes with it? The gospel message is that Jesus has overcome death. He's made eternal life possible through his death and resurrection. He offers you and me forgiveness for how we've treated God. And the gospel message says to you that if you entrust your life to Jesus, he'll guard it for you. You respond to the gospel message by living fully with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the gospel message, and it hasn't changed at all over these last 2,000 years. But at times, the true gospel has been lost by individuals, by churches, by denominations, even by whole countries. And it's been lost because this 
chain of people responsible for the gospel message has lost it. Now, we're not completely dependent on this chain to find the truth. At any time, any of us can open the Bible and hear the gospel message directly from God as he speaks to us through the apostles. So the survival of the gospel is not dependent on this chain of of people. But as a church, us staying faithful to the gospel through the decades and centuries to come, us holding to the gospel, us leaving behind people who hold to the gospel, we are dependent on this chain. Paul's point is the main way we stay on track and stay on mission is by carefully entrusting the responsibility to guard the gospel message about Jesus to reliable people, people who will in turn themselves entrust the responsibility to others. A big part of how we do that these days is by raising up the next generation who will go to Bible college. We raise up people we consider reliable, people we consider to be qualified to teach others. Now, sending people to Bible college, it's not the only way to do what Paul is talking about here. It wasn't exactly how Paul and Timothy themselves passed on things back then because there weren't Bible colleges to send people to. The way we do it now is not the only way, but it's a tried and tested way that's got a lot of strengths. But like I said last week, I think this is an area as a church that we need to give more attention to. We sent Dave Harrington to Bible college and that's fantastic. And we've had others doing Bible college too, but we're still a net importer of ministers. Scott, Coops, Mike Sams, James Harricks, me, we're all foreigners to SA. I had no idea what Smiley Fritz was until a few years ago. When the lady at the deli asked me when I was there with one of my kids, Smiley Fritz, I stared at her blankly. And after about the fifth time of her repeating Smiley Fritz, she finally just handed the Devon, what I'd call Devon, to one of my kids. Now, things are changing a bit. It's encouraging that Jamie Seafang is coming back to South Australia next year. And Jack Page never left South Australia, but he'll be finishing Bible college next year. Tim Blagg works with youth in the city, and he's a local. There's some great things happening across the Trinity Network. But we need to keep thinking, how are we going with this at Modbury? As a church, one of our priorities needs to be raising up people who can take on the responsibility of guarding the gospel. Leadership team members, community group members, and youth group leaders... Even parents all play a huge role in this, but Paul particularly has in mind here Timothy passing on the responsibility to key leaders in the church. Are there people we should be tapping on the shoulder and saying, what about you? Have you thought about taking on this responsibility? I remember when I was tapping Dave Harrington on the shoulder to do a ministry apprenticeship, I was saying to him, time's ticking and it'd be good for you to make a decision about this soon. And he laughed and said other people were saying, you're still young, you don't need to make a decision, just take your time. Now, both are true in a way. You don't have to be in your 20s to go into ministry. Colin Taylor at Trinity Church Woodcroft went into ministry in his late 30s. But what I'm aware of for most of us is that life happens. Marriage, kids, work, mortgages, promotions, health issues. These things tend to grow and dominate our horizons so that many people who thought they'd go into ministry never quite get there. As a church, we should be regularly sending people to Bible college. What we need is not people who go, I don't know what to do with my life. I might go to Bible college. Or people who go, I hate my job. I know I'll go to Bible college. What we need are people who are great in their jobs, gifted, reliable, going places. But what's really needed is what we see in the rest of chapter 2. We need people who are willing to do what Paul tells Timothy to do. Look at verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. At this point in the letter, Paul gives Timothy three images that he encourages him to reflect on to help him think about his role. Now, these images are great for Timothy as a minister, but there's a lot in these images that are really helpful for any follower of Jesus. 
Look at verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. There's the first image. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown unless, except by competing according to the rules. There's the second. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. There's something about these three images that will help Timothy shape himself in his role as he reflects on them. Did you notice what they've all got in common? They're all about having such an intense focus towards a goal that you're willing to make sacrifices along the way. The goal in the first image is pleasing the commanding officer. The goal in the second is being crowned as a winning athlete. And the goal in the third is sharing in the harvest. This is the same goal being described from three different angles. Our goal is to please God. Our goal is to be rewarded by him. Our goal is to share in the joy of this world restored. All three goals are actually all about when Jesus returns. Later on in the letter, Paul writes about his own life's work using these images. And he says in chapter 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. He's been like a soldier. I have finished the race. He's been like an athlete. I have kept the faith. He's been like a diligent farmer. And then he says in verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. These images, they apply to us. The question is, while we wait for Jesus, are we like soldiers? Are we like athletes? Are we like farmers? Are we so intensely focused on the goal that we're willing to make sacrifices along the way? These three images, they all work toward the same goal. But each of them shows Timothy a slightly different aspect of what that work should look like. So in the first image, working towards the goal involves not getting entangled in civilian affairs. In the second image, working towards that goal involves competing according to the rules. And in the third, it involves hard work. We're going to reflect on each image and think about how it can help us to focus on the goal. So first of all, we're going to reflect on what it looks like to be like a good soldier. For Timothy and for us, it's very easy to stop wanting to please God alone and to get entangled in things that aren't pleasing to God. I read an article the other day that was saying that with all the extra things that we're asking the Defence Force to do, we're at risk of distracting them from their goal of being trained and skilled and ready to protect Australia. With all the things like bushfire cleanup and coronavirus, border patrol, it means they're not actually training for war. If Australia was actually threatened by an enemy, you really want your defence force to be focused on their job. You don't want them to be entangled in civilian affairs. You don't want them to be at a Crows game or competing on Lego Masters when there's the threat of war. The image of a soldier is a reminder to us to have singular purpose, singular devotion. This is about serving God and not getting caught up in anything that will take us away from serving God. The image, this image, it causes us to reflect and ask ourselves, are there things that are distracting me from serving God? Are there? They could be things that are wrong, that are displeasing to God, sin of some sort, an inappropriate relationship, an ungodly habit that we're ensnared by. But they could also be good things that we're giving way too much focus. Sometimes we make decisions first and then we think about how that impacts Jesus. We buy the house and we think, oh, that means I'm going to be 45 minutes from a good church. Or the bigger mortgage means I'm going to have to give heaps more of my focus to working overtime and less to my family and to God. Or we take the job and then we think, how do we make God fit into this? We say yes to the overseas work trips or gap year, or we sign up to some weekend social club or football team, 
or buy the holiday house or, or marry someone, whatever it is, afterwards we try to figure out where Jesus fits. The, the image of a soldier is calling us to work in a completely different way. At every step, every decision, first we think, how do I please God in this? The next image we're reflecting on is an athlete who will only be crowned as a winner if they compete according to the rules. Apparently the first time the marathon was run in the modern Olympics, it was an absolute joke. People nearly died because they thought that you'd perform better if you didn't drink water. And then the guy who actually won actually had pulled out of the race and was getting a lift to the finish line, but the car broke down. So he jumped out and ran the rest of the way and crossed the finish line first. Luckily though, it was found out that he didn't compete according to the rules and so he wasn't crowned the winner. In a marathon, you can't get a lift and expect to win the race. What this image is telling us is that the end doesn't justify the means. The means matter to God. How we work matters to God. It can be tempting to think that it's so worth people hearing the gospel and it's so worth people living for the gospel. It's so worth protecting the gospel that whatever it takes, we'll do it. This is where a lot of Christians and churches have gone wrong in the past because they start to think, well, what works? Now, that's not a bad question if you compete according to the rules. What works to win a marathon within the rules is a great question. And what works to share and protect the gospel within God's parameters is also a great question. But when we think things like, oh, it'd be heaps more effective if if we just glossed over parts of the gospel, if we just didn't mention sin or God's judgment, then people will listen more. Or if we just didn't mention the the miracles and resurrection, it'll sound more believable. Or when we think if we just glossed over some of the sound teaching that goes along with the gospel, surely if we just dropped some of the stumbling blocks for our culture, sexuality, sex before marriage, gender, abortion, if we just said these things don't really matter, then more people would be interested in God. And isn't that a good thing? Or maybe if we just focused on doing good in our community, or just focused on how God can make you the best version of you there is, then maybe we could get somewhere. But all of this kind of thinking is like a marathon runner who wants to catch the bus to the finish line. Look at how Paul instructs Timothy to compete according to the rules in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And there's another way we can be tempted to break the rules, a kind of opposite extreme. Often when the gospel is under attack, when people are pushing wrong ideas, it's very tempting to be harsh, unloving, forceful, and a bit of a bully. Many churches have stumbled like this too. And this is equally like an athlete not competing according to the rules. The ends do not justify the means. Even to people who are threatening the gospel, Paul says to Timothy in verse 24, Still, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. This is incredibly hard, but we have a great example. Paul says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Jesus held to the truth without compromise, but he, he held to the truth with love and gentleness. He suffered even to the point of death, for us in order to overcome it. And we're called to follow in his footsteps. So Paul says, this is my gospel, verse 9, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul endures everything so that people might be saved. 
He holds to the truth uncompromisingly, but he does it out of love and he calls on Timothy to do the same. And this is particularly important for a minister, but it's important for all of us. James Packer was a a great theologian who died recently, and he wrote, I should like to be remembered as someone who was always courteous in controversy, but without compromise. He was an athlete who competed according to the rules. Are you serving God like an athlete, focused on the goal, but working within the gospel parameters of both truth and love? Which one do you reckon you're most tempted to break out of those two, truth or love? The final image that Paul gives us is of a hard-working farmer. I've known quite a few farmers, and they all take you for a tour of their farm with great pride. They show you the sheep and the barley and the wheat growing. They live on the farm, work on the farm. Usually all the families involved somehow in the farm. I don't think I've met a lazy farmer yet. And the thing with farmers is they work in yearly cycles. You probably get paid each fortnight or month. But a farmer works very hard, usually for a year before they see the the pay, the harvest. But that doesn't stop them working hard in season, out of season, when the rains are doing the right thing, when they're not doing the right thing. Still, they keep working hard toward the goal. Not too many farmers start a crop and then forget about it or neglect it. They follow it through. Paul is giving this image to Timothy and to us to encourage him to keep working hard, to keep entrusting the gospel to new leaders, to keep reminding people of the gospel and of the need to endure, to keep telling new people the gospel, to keep gently instructing people who get off track through these three images, soldier, athlete, farmer. Paul is inspiring and shaping Timothy for this role. And it's a really difficult role. Timothy faced the situation where people were turning away from the truth. That's not how they saw it, of course. They would have seen themselves as discovering the truth. But Timothy's role is to hold the line like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. He's to warn people who want to argue about gospel truth that they're at risk of turning away from Jesus. Paul quotes what is probably a very early Christian song to remind Timothy of this. Verse 11. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we turn away from Jesus, we turn away from our only hope. This isn't about those moments of unfaithfulness that we all have. This is about an ongoing rejection of Jesus. Paul's point is people need Timothy to remind them of what Jesus has done for them, to remind them to endure, to remind them not to turn away, and to remind them that when they're unfaithful, Jesus is still there faithful to them. But the reality is that there'll always be some people who don't endure. People like Hymenaeus and Philetus. They'll tell you that they're better off now. They'll tell you that they've got a a better picture of God or a better picture of the world. They're happier, freer, more alive than ever. And when you're up close and hearing them talk, it's often confusing. And for some, it's tempting to follow them. They can sound convincing at times. They have to sound convincing. They, They have to justify to themselves and to everyone else why they've turned their back on Jesus who died for them. But when you step back and see the truth and see how what they're saying compares to the gospel, you see the emptiness of their alternative. Look at the fruit of their life, not just the fruit that they want to show you, but take a step back and look at the fruit that their life is producing. Is it leading to true selflessness? Is it leading to a life pleasing to God? Is it leading to a life that lasts for all eternity? They might say they're happy and fulfilled and living generously, But look closely and they're often on about self-fulfillment, self-realization, 
self-improvement. And if you end up somehow in the way of their self-orientated living, watch out because they can be ruthless. When someone falls away, it can feel so deflating and it can make us think, who's next? How can we help this person come back? How can we stop what they're doing spreading to other people? We can feel so powerless. But at those times, we need to remember what Paul says in verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, filled with this, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. It's not up to us in the end. The Lord knows those who are his. Jesus tells us very clearly that there'll be people who fall away. But God will always keep those who belong to him strong. And we can warn people not to turn away from God, but it's not in our control in the end what they do. What is in our control is this. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Those who belong to God don't turn away from him. We turn away from wickedness. The truth is, no matter how happy and self-realized we are, it won't bring us eternal life. So Paul's heart for people who turn away from Jesus and our heart for them is that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses. These three images, soldier, athlete, farmer, they help inspire and shape Timothy for what can be a really tough job, really tough work as a minister. But these images, they also inspire and shape us for how we live for God too. It's not always easy following Jesus, no matter who we are. So I want to finish by pulling together some of the things we've seen today that would be worth you reflecting on some more. Have you fully entrusted your life to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? That's the way to be forgiven by God and given eternal life. And if you haven't done that, what's holding you back? Do it today. Now, if you have fully entrusted your life to Jesus, are you living as a soldier? Are you living to please God? Or is something or someone entangling you? What are you going to do about it? Are you living as an athlete? Are you living within God's rules of both truth and love? Or is there one of those, truth or love, that you particularly struggle with? Are you living as a, as a farmer? Are you throwing yourself into living for God, working hard for Him? And finally, should you be someone that we send as a church to Bible college? Should you be someone we entrust with the responsibility of guarding the gospel and passing the gospel on?